0: Quiet your mind. Ever since the earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of mantis.
1: Welcome to Dawn of Mantis. True crime, mysteries, and more. We're in the middle of this case. The case from H-E double hockey sticks, Joe. (laughs) Why did you pick this case? That's why this one was on the back burner for years. I think this is good for me. We've had a lot of these that are just fun, and I go home. It's like, hey, that was fun, and we dealt with the tragedy of death and all this, these things, and and I haven't felt bad enough, so I think I'm paying for it all on this <laughs> one. This is my purgatory hell, like, right now during this episode. So yes. I owe it to some of so the gods or whatever. I don't know who I owe it to, but I, I feel like... I'm a victim. No. You're making it right. Yeah. Even in the score. Yeah, you know, it's okay. It's great work, Joe. I mean, people are going to really like this stuff. And they already have. We're getting a lot of plays on these things. We have, yeah. We've had a good reception.
0: Thank you guys for listening and for sticking with us through yep. all this. We got, like, you are right. We are halfway. This is a nine-part series. Anyway, we're on part six. So I guess we're kind of over the downhill Yeah, over statement. the hump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, during the break, since last episode... Uh, Sam and I watched the movie based on, well, the book In Broad Daylight written by Harry McLean. And then there was a movie called In Broad Daylight based on that. Uh, They changed the names of the folks. But other than that, we were just talking about, it is basically verbatim uh,
1: what happened. I mean, it's crazy how accurate that movie is. Yeah. The only problem, uh, we've changed the names to protect the innocent. They could have kept Kin's the same, <laughs> yeah, and the lawyers. They yeah. and change all the other ones to protect the innocent. Come on, you're the guys that came up with that. And That's it, true, it, Hollywood people. Yeah,
2: you don't have to protect,
0: <laughs> protect the guilty, just the innocent. That's right. But they changed Kin to Lynn, so they got pretty close. Okay, <laughs> you know what's they, his last name in it? I can't remember. We were just talking Lynn about that.
1: McGillic- Cuddy no, Roy. it's like a
0: shorter name. It starts with an R or something. I don't remember what it was. Of course, it was just like an hour and 20-minute movie or however long. Made it was, for TV movie. Made for TV.
1: I think it was made for ABC or something. And, and we were talking about, uh, before the episode, they had some good movies back then. And a lot of them are on the old YouTubes. Yes. So, like we were saying a few weeks ago, I, I could probably live off of YouTube almost solely. Oh, yeah. Everything is on there. If I could... bought the... No ads. Now they have two ads on everything. Oh, yeah, I know. I, when it's, when I was your age, YouTube only had one ad. That's what we'll be telling our kids. <laughs> His name was Lynn Rowan. Rowan, yes. Rowan.
0: So they changed the names a little bit. They changed Bo Camp to Wes Westerman or something like that. Oh,
1: they, um, they kept the kind of the... Yeah, the same theme. Yeah, the kind of the... <laughs> yeah, it into was
3: that. Wes Westerman. Yeah, that's and cool. And then uh, Trina was Adina. See? So everything's very close. Uh, Rose was Ruth. Yeah, Played by uh, Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman wow. does a great, yeah. She uh, she does a great job of yeah. playing,
0: um, um, not Rose
3: or what's her name, uh,
0: Lois Bowen or Lois. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. She's played by Cloris Leachman. Brian Dennehy plays yeah. Ken McElroy and Tommy I, Boy's dad. Yeah. Oh my God! So I was just telling the guys off air, Dennehy would study if he was portraying somebody. He would study them. They consulted people from Skidmore in this movie, right? I read about this, and I would venture to guess that when you watch that movie, Brian Dennehy's portrayal of Ken McElroy is probably dead on. Yeah, you I, said. I read that the people from Skidmore and the townsfolk, or whoever was uh consulting with this, Brian Dennehy did such a good job that it literally disturbed them. Like they said, it it was almost like we were looking at Ken when wow. he was doing these scenes. yeah. And,
1: Man, does he do a good job. Yeah, that's amazing. Fantastic movie. Yeah. That's a true, like, professional in his art. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, he did so good. And, I mean,
0: you know, he had the hair dyed black with the sideburns and slick back and just... The body type was...
1: I mean, it was so crazy how much he looked like Ken. So, there's not any... Uh, there wouldn't be, I guess, any audio or video of that douchebag, like, in, the, in the world. I don't think there is, no. There's a, what about that lawyer? Oh yeah,
0: there's lots of interviews with Jim McFadden. Oh. oh yeah, we could play him anytime you want.
1: Yeah, sometime we should. If you guys don't care, I just want you know, I just want to hear the voice of evil. The the McElroy. Thing made him famous Like he was on uh, mm. Hell he was on
0: Larry King He was on CBS Good Morning America Whatever all this shit is G. Yeah. McFadden was on all these Like it was a big deal man Yeah After Ken was killed We're gonna get to it It was a media fire Oh I had no idea I you had know, no had, idea about it And McElroy
1: was in the middle of it Trina's in the middle of it oh, He was such a good man And I'm you know, I guess Shapiro and Cochran I mean even though They were kind of elite already They weren't They weren't household famous Right but you know, I feel like I don't even put them in the same category as McFadden. Yes, yeah, no, I would. I mean, either. they didn't. Like, he didn't like conspire behind the scenes and be like, "Hey, OJ, your next victim. We'll make sure you get off for that one too." <laughs> so, I mean, it's not even the same. What, next? Some victim? Kind of the right way or whatever. Are
0: you assuming that OJ is guilty?
1: Did you say next victim? <laughs> Let's back up, sir. Well, no, I mean, just they've just—they've just never—they've just never, never found evidence of another so that's yeah. i'm just where i'm living okay all right well if that's what you want to be the outlier that believes Kook. that <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: but yeah so we'll yeah we will at some point when you guys deem it appropriate or when it feels right we'll throw in some audio of mcfadden i'd love to hear i'd love to hear yeah then we can judge how close my uh impression is that i've been doing for <laughs> hours I mean. and hours
1: <laughs> we should play it stop it and then you do like right <laughs> echo it it's pretty close. I mean, okay. he, he I was bet an over. The, I'm saying it probably is. He's an over the top guy. So yeah, you're a music guy, so you got a good ear for like hearing what somebody sounds like. There you, you, there you go. There you go. And
0: basically, ironically enough, he just pretty much sounds like the flamboyant southern lawyer that I do anyway on all the other episodes. He just already sounds like that. He so. was that
3: way even in the movie. <laughs> he
1: was <laughs> a little yes. bit like uh, uh, Foghorn Leghorn. You yes. Know? Yes. Kind of like
0: that type of. Cause in the movie he's like, "Well, the wheels of justice turn slowly, Ken, and sometimes not at all."
1: Yeah, ho, 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 ho. yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Okay, let's get into this next piece of crap. I was, I was just
0: like drinking beers,
1: like let's just get over with. <laughs> no, I'm not. Just the blackest coffee I could get. <laughs> <laughs> so when we left you in part
0: five, we were talking about uh, a little squatty preacher fella. One of the few guys in Skidmore that was going to stand up to Ken. Yeah, uh, one, and to look at him, like I said, he, <laughs> I think we mentioned he kind of looked like uh, oh yeah, Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer, okay, <laughs> with the Undertaker there a yeah. little bit. You know, he's just kind of a short dude, a little bit balding with a mustache, and
3: oh yes, Ken. <laughs>
0: <laughs> basically we can hear him speak too because when Maury schaefer went down there was 60 minutes they interviewed him more
1: uh, okay cool yeah 60 minutes went wow, wow, everybody cool. went man I, I love everybody that show. went sometimes i watch classic episodes of 60 minutes Just for fun, was yeah great. Yep. yeah <laughs> Yep. there it is <laughs> you notice it shows you how far you are in it yeah that, yeah that's awesome that's yeah. that's neat like after each commercial and stuff yeah. yeah
0: so yeah tim warren he was the pastor at the christian church there in town He'd been on vacation in Colorado when Bo was shot, but had arrived home just a few days later. He went straight to the hospital to visit Bo, where the two men sat and talked for over an hour. Mm. Tim got his first taste of McElroy that very night when he arrived home and his phone rang. If you don't mind your own business, we'll have to hurt you, a voice said. Now Tim Warren was a short, plump man with a bald spot mustache. I just said that. Uncharacteristically high voice. He wasn't really what you consider a badass or what you picture a badass. But he had a lot more balls than a lot of people that
1: Ken tried to threaten.
3: 3 4
1: <laughs> Quality not quantity. He indeed had a third ball, <laughs> and that
0: ball held all his powers. And it was all the difference. <laughs> I had a third ball. I've had my and balls. That was the difference. Ultrasounded before. Really? Yeah. Because of uh one
1: was just like way bigger than the other. And I was really concerned. I was like, is this a cyst? Have I got cancer? I just imagine you laying there and your wife's holding your hand and you're looking at the screen and you're all full of full of hope. Like the like the woman ultrasound. But then it's like, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't be the same type of vibe, would it? No, not at all.
0: No, I, Tell I, me
1: about my boy.
0: I laid on my back and a man put jelly on them and then rubbed that ultrasound thing. And we looked, I saw them on the screen and I see, he was like, oh, it's just a, some kind of sister growth that you can just leave.
1: It's fine. Yeah. So, uh. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anyway. those images that you put them in a baby book or something? <laughs> This is,
0: I can show my daughter, this is your pre-pre. Yeah. Uh, This is you even before you were conceived.
1: Yeah, what's that, daddy? Well, you notice it's on the page before the ultrasound. (laughs) We're going to call this the pre-ultrasound. We even got it before. Here's you with a billion of your little brothers and sisters. (laughs) (laughs) It's a family picture. (laughs) What happened to them? They didn't make it
0: They didn't make it, babe You're the special one And on the opposite page Is your mom's egg
1: The water treatment plant (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dad, you're nuts You're nuts (laughs) That was low-hanging fruit (laughs) I wasn't low-hanging fruit I didn't even intend on that to be. We
2: can't not do it.
1: We so can't not do it. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How can we get this train back? On? Dad, How you're can nuts. We get back on the right Dad track. Was low hanging fruit. <laughs> we need a motivational speaker. We need like a, a a teacher. Like, come on, boys. Let's get it back together. We got work to do. <clears throat> so,
0: back to where we were. Ken calls Tim, right? And he's, he does this regular bullshit like, I'm going to kick your ass or whatever. Sure. Actually, he never says that. He never threatens like bodily harm with like a physical violence. He's always like, I want to shoot you.
3: He's never right. like, I want to beat you up. Real tough guy. He goes straight to murder. That Right, right. Um, and yes. actually, when
0: they interview Bill, I think it's Bill Everhart in the 60 Minutes mm-hmm. deal, he says that. He says, Ken wasn't the guy that'd fight you in the street. He'd come at you with guns. Right? Yeah, so, of course. Tim, he fires back because well basically Kim was saying don't visit the Bone camps anymore. Anybody mm-hmm. that was associating with them and trying to help them out after Bo got shot,
1: automatically a sure. enemy. Oh, they're of Kim. an enemy, yeah, for sure.
0: Tim fires back. It's my job and I'm gonna continue to do it no matter what you say. The voice replied, We are gonna be sorry. Before the person hung up. Undeterred, Tim went to visit Lois just two days later, right? He's not scared. She was frightened And he felt it was his job To console her Just a few minutes After he got home that night Guess what happened What Phone rang again He picks up More in residence <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love it
2: Your voices tonight Are killing It's man. pretty close I, I like it. it Go I told you to mind Your own business And now we're going to Take your little
0: boy out And kill him And throw him in, in pieces In your front yard
3: that's Oh my god!
0: That's what it said Dang 20 minutes later, the phone rang again. We're going to get you, you fat son of a bitch. Quoting the, I'm quoting Ken. Tim yelled back, you go ahead and try it. <laughs> like Ken, Tim Warren liked guns, and he had several of them. A 32 automatic, a 38 snub nose, a thirty-eight police pistol, a twenty-two rifle, and three shotguns to be exact. So this
1: little dude was armed up. Yeah. Armed to his tits. Yeah. With guns. And he's going against the Hollywood voiceover guy. (laughs) Can you imagine? This summer. Yeah. Two people. Some bullshit. (laughs) See? Can you imagine? That's
0: what all Hollywood movies are. There's a conflict. Then it's resolved. And some sex. This summer. He began to sleep with a pistol under his pillow. Tim, that is. And travel with one under the front seat of his car. If Ken wanted to mess with him... He was, determined to get the, he was determined to get the first shot. He would have, too. He would have. Well, Tim continued to visit the Bowen camps, and the calls kept a-coming. Sometimes they'd threaten Tim. Sometimes they'd threaten his wife. Uh, they'd go into detail about how they were going to kill his son, but Tim did not give in. That's when the visits started. Like he'd done to so many others before, Ken started cruising by the Warrens' home or parking in front to stare at the house. Sometimes he'd come at night, sometimes in the day, sometimes Trina was with him, and sometimes he'd bring the whole caravan. They'd drive all three cars by. But Tim kept visiting the Bowen camps. Caravan of cowardness. You can't stop me! That's right. But Tim wasn't the only one getting harassed by Ken. McIlroy knew he only had a few weeks before trial, so he set about doing what he always did. Threatening and intimidating witnesses into not testifying. Yes. There were several on his list. He found out who the four teenagers were who he'd sent into the tavern before shooting Bo and put the word out that they'd
1: better watch their backs. You think that lawyer gave him a note card? It's like it's like intimidation list. And it has all these names on it and it's like with notes, he's like threaten this one with burning their house down, threaten this one with I wonder if it's like It was close. You know, the way he found out all these people, he would call his attorney
3: yeah. and get yeah. the affidavits. Like so who he and the the affidavit. did, and he, did, he might as well.
0: Yeah. He, he
1: he would get handed a list of who was going to testify.
3: That's in the movie, yes. basically. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, man. It's crazy. I didn't even think about that. I just thought off of his own like brain, he was like, I remember we had the trouble with this guy, and he's the guy that's in court with me, so that's the guy. Yeah, that's, oh, man. Isn't that crazy? It, just, it gets deeper and deeper. Should have worn my muck boots. <laughs> you got your pants rolled up. I Close. do. <laughs> I do. I am like crossing the creek. <laughs> Ken was also still messing
2: with
0: the Bowen camps and making frequent calls to Stratton's residence. He was just a busy dude. Oh, yeah, because he didn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Ken would threaten to kill Stratton's wife or his daughter or both. Then he started driving over to Maryville to the grocery store where Stratton's daughter Pam worked. He'd stuff a cart full of items, linger in her line, and when it was his turn, he would just walk away when she was halfway through scanning the items.
3: <laughs>
1: you know, come on. What are you? A prankster? What are you, some kind of wise now guy? Now you gotta put that up. Gotcha.
0: I am bad. It would be easier to make fun of him if he wasn't also literally shooting
1: people with That's shotguns. That's true, but I mean, but isn't that pretty big step down? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's like, I, I parked outside, but they never saw me. So I got to go in and do something. <laughs> you know? I <laughs> thought I was another customer. Well, then Stratton's other
0: daughter, Vicky, who worked at the hospital in Maryville, started to notice Ken in the halls on her floor of the hospital. He would go mm. up to the hospital, like drive 30 minutes, go to the hospital and find her floor. Then one day she noticed him tailing her on her way to the grocery store and then home. Stratton believed that despite his creepy tactics, Ken would not actually try to harm the girls or his wife. He tried to reassure them of the same thing, but it didn't make the situation any less unsettling. Yes, Ken was a busy little bee during the weeks leading up to the trial. What was stalking and harassing the entire Stratton family, the Bowen camps, the Warrens, and all of the potential witnesses. Hmm. Well, as we spoke about before, uh, one or two episodes ago, every year in August, Skidmore has the pumpkin show. Oh yeah, right? Because I was just there. Hey, hey, I went there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Everyone at home's like, we know. I wonder if Joe's going to mention that he went there in this episode. I don't know. You have to stay tuned and find out.
0: Well, yeah, this is an annual multi-day festival consisting of a car show, tractor show, parade, live music, meat cook-off, and a Little Miss Contest, among other things, like the tractor pool that I saw. Okay. It was a uh, Saturday night, August 10th, 1980, the third night of the festival. Ken, as usual, was bellied up to the bar at D&G Tavern. A 28-year-old local named Chris Gosley came in and sat next to Ken and ordered a beer. Chris was a bit of a hellraiser himself and despite all of everything he'd heard about Ken he began to drink and joke around with Ken. Now I don't think that was probably smart to do. Probably not. I don't think Ken was a like a guy you could jab in the ribs and be like hey, hey, hey right Ken. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and by the way, Ghostly, okay. crypt keeper. <laughs> I know <it's... laughs> um, that is so weird. I don't know. So Ghostly that's a very common, that's a family that's been in Skidmore forever. Okay. When you watch the documentary, No One Saw a Thing that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. One of the main people in it is Kirby Gosley.
1: Okay. He
0: just passed away back in April. Oh. Condolences to him. family. Uh-huh. But yeah, when I went to the Skidmore Pumpkin Show, hey, I went there. When I was saying that I, <laughs> I, I was signing up for that raffle I saw a Gossely- There were several gosslies there. Oh, really? Yeah, other people had signed up for this raffle. And I saw a lot of these last names that were reading in this story. I'm like, oh, man. Like, their families are still here. You know, these people are still around. And-
1: you should have been like Elf. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they? I'd like to talk to them. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to, but. Yeah, I know. Didn't feel appropriate. No, 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 no. So, yeah,
0: uh, Chris is joking around with Ken for his part. Ken was in a decent enough mood. That is until Chris, who was getting up to go uh, head to the bathroom, <laughs> slapped him on the back and said, Ken, if you're such a great coon hunter, such a great shot, how'd you miss those two old boys? <laughs> and then he goes off to the bathroom. <laughs> That's not good. Ken didn't laugh. When Chris came back and took a seat next to Ken, he noticed that uh, Ken and Tammy were whispering to each other, after which Tammy went to the payphone and made a call. Then she came back and whispered something to Ken again. Several minutes later, Ken took out a large roll of cash from his pocket and threw it on the table in front of Chris. How would you like some of this? He asked. Chris's eyes got wide at the sight of all that money. He said, Sure, man. What do you have in mind? Ken got up and started for the door. Come on outside. I want to show you something. (laughs) As they walked to Ken's truck, it's an ATM. As they walked to Ken's truck, which was parked by the loading dock, exactly where it had been when he'd shot Bo, Chris noticed Trina and two other people watching from across the street. Now, this is something that I, I don't know that I put in the notes, but a lot of times when Ken would go to the bar, he would bring Trina and maybe one of his daughters or maybe one of his other girlfriends. He would bring them and they would sit out in the truck with a gun, like kind of backup. Yeah, this was very common, almost all the time. If Ken went into town, he brought, in his words, a couple of his women to kind of stand guard. So yeah, Trina, two other people, they're across the street, they're watching. So Chris begins to realize, oh man, I'm walking into an ambush, potentially, right? Yeah. So when they get to Ken's truck, Ken reaches into the window and pulls out, guess what? A gun. Yeah, a rifle. Chris instinctively grabbed the barrel of the gun before Ken could point it at him. Ken growled, Let
1: go of the rifle and take back a few steps (laughs) so I can shoot you. Yeah. Yeah. You're making this hard. Making it harder, it has to be. you get in your victim position? (laughs) Get back just a few. There you go. Okay. Stop right there. All right. Has tape on the pavement. (laughs) It's where people stand when I shoot them.
0: (laughs) Chris said, What's wrong, Ken? What the hell's going on? As Chris was pleading, he saw Trina move toward another truck and pull out another shotgun. (laughs) <laughs> but as she stepped back and shut the door, she bumped into three festival goers who gave her a puzzled look. Ken said, get between the trucks, and if I hit the ground, shoot him." And she disappeared between the parked vehicles. Chris continued, wow. I've always liked you, man. Tell me what I've done. I'm sorry, man. Whatever I did, I'm sorry. Ken allowed Chris to grovel for another minute or two, and then he relaxed the rifle, and he shouted, just get off the street. Get out of here.
1: Ken, to him, get out of here. Moment of mercy A rare moment of rare mercy moment, yeah,
0: and I'll probably, be parked outside your house later <laughs> As Chris backed away He saw Trina in his peripheral vision She still had her shotgun trained on him And would pull the trigger at the slightest Motion from Ken But Chris made it back into the tavern And went into the bathroom to compose himself For a few minutes When he came out he was still as white as a ghost All he wanted to do was go home But he had to walk outside back past Ken To get to his van when Chris walked out of the bar And onto the sidewalk Trina snatched the shotgun Back out of the truck And pulled it on him again Chris put up his hands And said hold it Hold it I'm just walking to my van I'm going home I'm sorry for whatever I did He carried a thirty eight pistol In his van for months After that night Fearing you know Retribution from, from Ken or Trina
1: Didn't take kindly To his joke did he They sure as hell didn't
0: <laughs> You know just It was just him being drunk Yeah oh yeah And just stupid That sobered him up pretty quick. I sure did. I bet it did. Yeah. Well, several people had noticed Chris's change in demeanor and his sudden departure from the tavern, and among them was the town marshal, David Dunbar, who decided he better step outside and see what was going on. Let's remember, this is during the pumpkin show. So, you know, there's a lot of people. It's going on, yeah. People walking around and eating corn dogs and and whatnot. Now, Dave had settled into his role as marshal and was even wearing his badge that evening. Now, what's funny is in broad daylight, when they do this scene, they get the time. They don't do the time and the festival and everything, but David Dunbar didn't wear his badge very often. And even in the movie, he happens to be wearing it because Ken's like, hey, see, so you got the badge. You know, it's the first mm. thing you noticed. Yeah. But anyway, the moment Dave stepped out onto the curb, he regretted it. From the left, he heard Ken's voice call, hey, Dave, come over here a minute. I want to talk to you. Dave sighed. Oh, shit. Walked (laughs) over to McElroy's truck, where Ken was standing. Ken glared at Dave's badge for a minute, and then he asked, what do you think of Russ Johnson? Remember, he was another, like, special deputy. Yeah, yeah. Dave shrugged his shoulders. I get along with him, all right. Ken's glare moved from the badge to Dave's eyes. He felt like they were burning right into his soul. Are you going to testify against me at trial? Ken asked. Dave stood his ground. I have to, Ken. It's my job. Ken began to stick his arm inside the cab of his truck. I'll kill anybody who'll put me in jail for the rest of my life. Then he swung a rifle out of the truck and aimed it at Dave's face. But Dave quickly slapped it away and said, Ken, there's not any trouble between us, man. Let's not have any tonight.
1: Right? By the way, this is like, Ken's just pulling guns on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's fine. <laughs> We've established that before. Yeah. Somebody like this, they just get the whole town, like, to where you can't. Think rationally Do rational things Because it's just a fear And intimidation So I get it I'm I'm not gonna riff on that Tonight like I did The other night Yeah he's got them So What's the proper word I mean Demoralized yeah, like, And Well I mean You're in the Mindset of In a similar mindset As like Somebody in A War situation, yeah. Like they're in a war against one guy and one family, yeah. You know,
0: and just think, like they have to feel so helpless because he's already shot Romaine Henry, yeah, and got away with it. He's already he's shot Bo Bowen Camp, and even though he was found guilty, here he is, and his his attorneys added, he's like, how much is this guy going to get away with all the intimidation and the fear and the threats? You know, they've just got to feel so, I'm really trying to build it up to where anybody who at the end of this, if you doubt that the town was really doing the only thing they knew left that they had left to do, I don't think there's a single doubt. I don't think there's a single doubt that I don't, you know, once this thing is finished, I don't think there's anybody that's going to be like, well, maybe they could have waited a little longer. I I think the town was done. It was done. It was just
1: it's no common more sense to do. thing. You you think about the town before he started messing with them versus now everyone's on eggshells and everyone's talking about this and thinking about this. You can't, you know, you can't live a normal life.
3: Oh. I think the movie portrays that really well. I do too. I mean, I got to
1: watch this thing. Yeah,
3: you do. It'll it'll piss you off, but
0: yeah, it's a great movie. I can't wait. It's a great movie. Man. Yeah. So yeah, you know, he's trying to talk Ken down. He's like, man, there hasn't been any trouble between us. Let's just let's just call it good. Is the movie
1: twelve hours long, like no. this, like this podcast? Because I can handle it if it's an hour and thirty. It's hour twenty, hour thirty at okay. the most. Yeah, in and out. But I should have just watched the movie. <laughs> yeah. No, I love you guys. Well, I love the movie you guys. takes. A, I'm joking. I'm the movie joking.
0: is like a perfect slice of a certain timeline, yeah. basically from the candy incident till when he was killed. Gotcha. But there's so much more on either end of that. Yeah. Okay. So just as he's trying to talk Ken down, Dave feels cold metal press against the back of his neck. Trina was behind him with a gun.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Noticing that Dave was momentarily distracted, Ken swung the rifle back up, but Dave pushed pushed it away again and said, man, let's just calm down, man. Ken then went on another tirade about Russ Johnson, threatening to put Dave in the car and drive to Russ's house so he could watch him kill Russ before Dave had finally had enough. He backed away and with multiple guns aimed at him, crept over to his car and got in. Once there, he quickly grabbed his 357 Magnum and radioed the sheriff's office in Maryville. He said, hey, this is Marshall Dunbar over in Skidmore. I just want you guys to know that McElroy is drunk and pulling guns on everyone. He even pulled one on me. He's going to kill somebody. Okay? After a short pause, do you know what the dispatcher said? I just love, I love the looks on your faces when I get to do this. They responded, don't provoke him. If we arrest him, he'll just be out in two hours. Just keep an eye on him and make sure he doesn't kill anybody. Maybe
1: that's, maybe that's a the, judge should approach him. I wonder if a I you know, I just it's a question I was wondering if you guys do you think if a judge approached him and that happened to the judge, I don't want to think crazy thoughts. I'm not am I taking crazy thoughts? I think he threatened
3: to burn down his house. Well he yeah, did threaten to burn but, down a judge's barn and, and then he did. Oh, that's right. That was a judge. He did wasn't that. It? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he did. I was thinking about it. It doesn't matter. It
0: doesn't matter. He's threatening Stratton. He's threatening judges. He doesn't
1: give a shit. It's insane. At some point, couldn't some people in charge be like, I don't care what this stupid fat lawyer is saying. Like, doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter if he's legally right. Because what had to happen is murder to end it. Yeah. People finagle the system around all the time. Yeah. It's usually to make somebody money that doesn't deserve it. But why couldn't in this case be like, oh, yeah, that lawyer has a point. Bail denied. <laughs> Good yeah. point. It's It makes you wonder. I
0: mean. It's well, a common sense thing. Like we said before, we don't know the extent, but. I'm sure that he had a lot of people bribed. You know, he was padding a lot of pockets. Pro- maybe yeah, pretty high probably. up. Yeah, that's something we haven't, we haven't talked about that really, have we? No, and there's another angle to this. I don't know. I didn't even put it in the notes, but it's something that I've thought about even since I did this research, and I'm trying to decide when to interject it in here, but it's a whole other theory that if it's true, it would completely explain why he was basically untouched. Are
1: you going to say something like somebody in power uses them as like muscle? Uses him as a rat, information. Oh, okay. I was going to say you could send him to go intimidate somebody for you. There's that too, but I had read someone,
0: I think it was just in a comment, maybe on one of the videos about Ken, had theorized that maybe he was so untouchable because he was an informant. Yeah. And Ken always said, I mean, multiple people heard him say, I cannot go to jail. If I go to jail, I will die. That's a weird wow. thing. That's a weird thing to say, but he said it many times. Even on the 60 Minutes episode, I keep bringing that up, but even then, even that early on, because that was only done a, very shortly after Ken died, they were already there was already a theory that Ken was in deep with a big criminal enterprise in Kansas City and had done them wrong, and that they had come in from outside and
1: killed Ken, that it wasn't even the farmers. I wonder if there was, like, a new farmer... That no one knew before? <laughs> yeah. He's He'd like wearing only a been black, there like six months. It was wearing like, a black suit. <laughs> it's like the guy from Green Acres. It's like, he doesn't fit in. And he's like, hey, you know what, boys? We should kill that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, new farmer. You're brand new, but okay. Let's follow your lead. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even totally joking about that. Well, I've got... You know the people. I, you know I've the got, names. I've got the names. We're not trying to get anyone... In trouble, obviously. No, and these we names totally are public support- knowledge. Yeah, exactly. They've been there public knowledge for That's years. throw that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Don Amantis is trying to solve another case just like they did that Somerton man. <laughs> that was our fault. We did that. So yeah, you know, dispatch is just like, hey, don't poke the
0: bear. Basically, yeah. when he says, Ken's out here swinging a gun around, he's going to kill somebody. So after that, Dave's like, you mean you're just going to let him run loose tonight? They responded, there's nothing much we can do, Marshall. Just keep an eye on him. So Dave, (laughs) we're only the law. Not much we can do. Well, Dave was totally dumbstruck. Ken, who had listened to the entire conversation on his CB. (laughs) Yeah, let's not forget he's got a CB in every car and truck he has. He drove by and shot Dave a big old grin. Ken McElroy was above the law in every conceivable way, and he knew it. Man. Even knowing that there were over 2,000 people at the pumpkin show that night. And Ken, who had already shot multiple people in the recent past, was in the midst of them, drunk and waving his rifle. The police still refused to step in and help. Two days later, David Dunbar walked into City Hall, tossed his badge on the desk, and resigned as marshal. The town of Skidmore,
1: really and truly, was on its own when it came to Ken McKenna. Oh, man. Yeah, Yeah, the guy with common sense quits.
0: Of course. Finally, August 18th came and the preliminary hearing began at the Nottoway County Courthouse in Maryville. It's finally here. The judge was John Fraze. The prosecutor was Robert Nuri, And, of course, McFadden was there to once again represent his frequent flyer client, Ken.
1: Probably his only client. (laughs) That's all he needed, One-hit (laughs) wonder. It kept him plenty busy, I guarantee it. Oh, for sure, man.
0: The two main witnesses for the prosecution were Bo and Sheriff Danny Estes. When McFadden questioned Bo, he pulled the same isn't-it-possible bullshit routine that he always did, but the old man held firm. It became obvious right away that McFadden and McElroy were going to claim self-defense. For that to stick, they needed to focus on two things. Where Bo had been standing when he was shot and the knife he was holding to cut up the boxes. The evidence showed that Ken was down on the ground below Bo and several feet away when he shot him and that Bo was standing up a couple of feet inside the door leading out to the dock. But McFadden needed to close that gap and claim that Bo was lunging at Ken with a knife and forced <laughs> Ken to fire. Isn't it possible, Mr. Camp, that you were standing further out on the dock? <laughs> no, I was two feet inside the door. But isn't it possible, Mr. Bowen Camp? No, it is not. I was standing two motherf***ing feet inside the motherf***ing door. You can, isn't it possible all night, you fat fuck. I was standing two feet inside the door. He was Ice Cube for
1: there for a minute. <laughs> Friday. <laughs> Go, Sam. I know uh, you I got thoughts. Uh, I've well, got no, thoughts, I was too. just
3: waiting on him to say <laughs> that that was... Word for word what was said <laughs> <laughs> That Bone cap said that That's <laughs> it I and added a little Dropped the mic and walked off
1: the stage <laughs> He Dave chappelle it right out of there Well, everyone knows I don't park too close to grocery stores Because I'm afraid the owner's going to come out and carjack me <laughs> I mean, everyone knows that's a danger of that <laughs> Somebody parks too close to your store It's like, hey, there's a free car yep. I'm going to Grand Theft Auto this thing Yep. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was a loose cannon That That mild-mannered grocery store The 70-year-old man out there cutting up cardboard boxes. Yeah. We got to get him off the street. (laughs) He's a danger. Ask those boxes. They'll tell you. (laughs) Cutting them things up in shreds. You know? Ask those boxes. (laughs) Freddy Krueger out there. (laughs) This guy's dangerous. Well,
0: following this, McFadden moved to have the charges dismissed but failed. Instead, it was found that there was sufficient evidence that a crime had been committed. Oh, you think?
1: Yeah, I would think sufficient is a good word for there definitely was. I know. Pull your collar down, Bo. Oh, yeah. See where it's ground hamburger meat where he got shot? (laughs) That's the evidence. Exhibit one, Your Honor. (sighs) Yeah. And there's like exhibit one million because it's shotgun pellets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. So they, they found sufficient evidence that a crime had been committed and that Ken McElroy had committed it. So he was bound over for trial and the date was set for September 5th, three weeks away. Knowing Ken's habit of stalking, harassing, and intimidating witnesses, Prosecutor Fraze asked the court to order Ken to stay away from the Bowen camps.
1: Why not in jail for the time, I don't know, we have jails that people can hang out in for a while? I mean, it happens
0: sometimes. We don't need that, Ivan, because you know why? Because in response to this, Gene McFadden placed his hand over his heart and in his best good old boy accent, he said, he doesn't, that's good. (laughs) He placed his hand over the empty void where his heart would be. Yeah. And he said, Your Honor, as an officer of the court, I can assure you
1: there will be no intimidation by my client. Oh. And then he looked at Ken and went, wink, wink. (laughs) Yeah. His one hand was behind his back with his fingers
0: crossed. (laughs) That was the end of the preliminary hearing. And both McFadden and McElroy knew they had a lot to do before trial. McFadden immediately sent to work postponing the trial by every means necessary while Ken set about harassing and stalking uh, potential
1: witnesses along with others. Delay and harass. That's it. Our method. The threatening
0: calls to the Stratton residence increased and not long after the preliminary hearing, Ken and Trina began parking their car in front of the Strattons' home, but only while Richard was away at work, of course. It became totally normal for Margaret to look out the window and see Ken and Trina sitting in their big Buick. Ken usually kept his shotgun in view while he drank from a can of beer and stared at the house. Ken hadn't forgotten about Tim Warren either. Those calls increased as well, until one day when Tim finally dared McElroy to come get him, saying he was armed to the teeth and ready for war. After that, Ken let up on him and focused his
1: harassment elsewhere. We
0: talked about that
1: a week or two ago. Yep. Punch a bully right in the nose. I mean, if you're ready for the fight, punch a bully right in the nose. Yeah. The only time that I can ever
0: remember in my life, I was usually the bully... What would you call the victim of the bully? The bully... The victim? (laughs) (laughs) I was usually the victim. The bullied. The bullied. But one time, one time on the school bus, and this is like, I'm not kidding, like 1986 or 7, we're on the school bus... And a boy that lived not far from me in little Cincinnati, like population 110, Mm -hmm. some kid had taken his shoe off and they were tossing it around the bus. And I wasn't even thinking of it in a bully way. I was just like catching the, I just joined in. But Mm. the kid, David, I'll never forget, never forget. He was trying to grab the shoe as it was being tossed around the bus. It comes to me and I catch it. And I just happened to be within punching distance of him. Uh I remember catching it. And turning my face just in time, he socked the shit out of me right (laughs) in my nose, dude. And you caught it. Oh, yeah. And it was in my hand. I'm talking, like, nose running, eyes watering. He just punched the shit out of me. And he was about my age. But still, a seven-year-old just, like, waylaying another seven-year-old. That hurt, dude.
1: Hey, he taught you a lesson. He probably knocked the Ken McElroy out of you.
0: He did. I dropped the shoe, and I sat down on my seat, and I was just bawling. And I'll never forget, I looked up into the That You know that big rear view mirror that the bus driver has? Yeah. I saw the the bus driver's face, and he was just kind of (laughs) smirking. Which, rightly so. Got yours, you little ginger. (laughs) See, that's what the problem today is. And you want to talk about sounding like an old man. Everyone's so coddled. You need, in that moment where you're beginning to, like, let's flirt with being a bully, or this feels, ooh, I'm helping keep this shoe away or whatever. In that moment, before a seed could even be planted of me yeah. maybe growing into a bigger bully or whatever, which I never would have been because I was a tiny little sure. ginger. I got the shit punched out of me. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, later on, I became really good friends with that kid. Yeah. like He'd good. come over to my house. I'd go to his house. Yeah. That was a good thing. I deserved yeah. to get punched in the face for that. Yeah. Totally. You know, some kid would have socked Ken in the face when he was seven. Yeah. Might have been a different outcome, man. Biggest bullying, true crime anyway. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Well, meanwhile, this trial date of September 5th, it came and gone, thanks to McFadden, with no trial date in sight. On September 13th, Ken and Trina loaded six of his best hounds into one of his Chevy trucks and headed to a meet, well, these dog meets that I talked about, in Bruckner, Missouri. On the way, they stopped off at the Dinky Diner in St. Joe. On the way out to the parking lot, Trina pulled out in front of another car, almost causing a wreck. Now, this poor woman... Who could have had no idea of knowing that it was the McElroys? I can already oh, no. see where this
1: is going. You're right. Wrong place, wrong time. She leans out of her car and says,
0: "Asshole!" as they drive away. <laughs> oh no! Said that to Trina and Ken. Say Ken it isn't so. Ken quickly shoved Trina out of the driver's seat, and he jumped behind the wheel and
1: gave chase. Yeah, because that's a woman. He'll deal with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Over the next few miles, he tried to run the car off the road several times until he was finally able to pull ahead of this woman's car and block it in. The moment it stopped, Trina was out and cursing the woman. A man got out of the passenger side of this car, so Ken grabbed his shotgun and approached him. Of course he did, because it's a man. (laughs) (laughs) Among Trina's tirades were the sounds of the couple's six-month-old baby, and two-year-old crying in the car. Mm. The police had been called earlier by someone who had witnessed this chase, so it was about this time that Sergeant Jake Rostock pulled up on the scene. Rostock just happened to be the same officer who'd been called back when Ken had fired his shotgun into the floor at Otha Embry's feet. Okay, I remember that. Remember that? Yep. And I accidentally went off? No one's fault. <laughs> and like every other lawman in seven counties, he knew Ken very well. Oh, man. Rostock opened his door and pointed a three fifty-seven Magnum at McElroy's head. Kenny, you're under arrest, and if you touch this gun, I'll blow your f***ing head off. Really? That's a verbatim. He wasn't messing. Ken lowered the weapon and was placed in handcuffs and stuffed in the car, the cruiser. Rostock interviewed the couple and got their story. Ken had threatened to blow their heads off right there on the side of the road. And Trina had told the woman she was going to, quote, kick her ass.
1: <laughs> I like, I love that you said the one thing, blow the head off and then kick your ass. Like, I don't know. It's, it's such a. I won't even have a head. Why are you going to kick my ass? <laughs> I'm not even going to know. I'm going to be headless. It's like, sorry, I was thinking about the other thing. Your little <laughs> country girl. Kick your ass. That didn't matter.
2: Ken's going to
0: blow your ass off, and then I'm going to kick it. Yeah. I'm going to kick it around like a soccer ball. <laughs> oh, we got to work on our threats, Ken. <laughs> you upstaged me, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to punch you. And Ken's like, I'm going to cut you up into small pieces. Like,
1: You guys have very different yeah, exactly. <laughs> scopes of what you're going to do to us. Can we go with her, what she's going to do? <laughs> uh Ken, we'll just deal with her, if you don't mind. <laughs> She got dibs. She got out first. <laughs> well, the couple obviously was
0: terrified. Then Rostock searched McHale Roy's truck. Other than the loaded shotgun, he found shells, a cord knife, and a bottle of Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. Everyone went from there to the station. Ken was processed, and the couple were further interviewed and were asked if they wanted to file a complaint. Right uh, At the station, away from Ken, now that's important away from Ken, Trina approached the couple and apologized for their behavior.
1: Wow! See, I think a lot of her bullshit was she had to do that. She was probably uh, almost like you would act as an undercover officer. Yeah. Like, you know, you're you're just playing a part. Because I heard a couple of instances where
0: she would just like straight up have a shotgun on you with Ken, but then the next day, if you bumped into
1: her, she'd be like, I hope you're all right. I I don't know. I'm sorry. You know? Sorry about the shotgun thing. Let's let bygones be bygones. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. The shotgun thing, you know. You know. Who hasn't done that?
0: (laughs) Well, regardless, Ken was charged with, quote, exhibiting a deadly weapon to wit a shotgun in a rude, angry, and threatening manner, end quote. Okay. 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 Another bond was set. Another preliminary hearing was set for the coming Monday. And Ken was back on the street. Oh, my, my God. <laughs> yeah,
3: he was out. How do you keep stacking up? Like, that's what I mean. You have one thing, but then you have another and that just stacks up on top of the other. Like, can they not be like, oh, well, he already has all these. So, why, like, when? How many of those do you get until you finally It's just go to jail? Yeah.
0: Mulligans. How many? I don't know. The officials in St. Joe were unaware. So this goes that th- this will help explain what you guys just asked. They were not aware that Ken was already under a $30,000 bond on separate charges. So, uh, hmm. you know, it really is like even just neighboring counties and neighboring yeah. precincts and stuff had no idea
1: what was going on just 20 miles away. But the headphones. Couldn't you say he's from there? Let's just let's just do a friendly call. What do you have? got on this guy? I mean, I'm just saying. Joe, you do a great job, and I, I'm not trying to sound anti your notes, <laughs> but they had phones, yeah, and uh, you know it's like we might just check, yeah, because I think, think this guy's in a little bit of trouble. We might see what's, what uh, what Why, else
0: is why that? wouldn't that just be part of office policy? Like sure. if you pulled over someone, why couldn't they just call dispatch back at the yeah. PD and just say check in the surrounding counties for a warrant or yeah. for a
1: whatever? Yeah, why not? We're not saying anything crazy. No, that seems pretty rudimentary to me. Some guy's like, well, if we only had the internet, (laughs) I guess you're going to go home for the weekend. Yep. Anything you say now, I'm going to be combative. I'm a combative witness right now. I'm coming after you. But, but Ivan, isn't it possible (laughs) that
0: they did not have time to place a phone call?
1: No. As it was very close to supper. You got me. Case dismissed. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. I'm just throwing it out. Well, this is going to blow your panties right off. <laughs> Strangely enough, just a couple
0: days later, at the preliminary hearing for this thing, not the other thing, sure, the couple completely recanted their previous oh, testimony. What? what? At first, they'd said Ken and Trina had chased them down, threatened their lives, and terrified them and their children. Now, though, they said Ken did not scare them. He didn't even approach them in a threatening way with any gun. But Rostock stuck to his guns and stated that he personally
1: witnessed Ken holding the gun on the couple. But somehow that's not going to matter, right? Well, based on that... It's only a police officer that you trust (laughs) shouldn't go with what he says.
0: It was enough to bound McElroy over yet again for another trial date that was uh, set for December
1: 12th. another trial date. There's a there's a there's a there's an old adage about timeout and I like it like get putting a kid in timeout. There's a comedian one time, I forgot who it was, it might be Jeff Foxworthy. His regular stand-up's good stuff. Yeah, he's a good stand-up. Yeah. I don't like the you might be, you know. Well, I, I don't like that. It's a bit, and I got I got tired of it. But he has the things like if you put a kid in timeout, aren't they just doesn't that just give them time to think of more bad things to do, you know? So you're giving this guy a timeout and that's all he's going to think about, bad stuff he's going to do yep. during this timeout. I mean, revenge timeout
0: Yep, is what it is. That's all it is. Yeah. And then he's got an attorney that gives him longer and longer timeouts.
1: Why doesn't the other lawyer say, judge, isn't it possible that this douchebag is going to go intimidate someone else or, or shoot someone else or attempt to shoot somebody else or pull a gun on somebody else? Yeah. And any judge would have to say, yeah, that's probable, actually. Probable. Like, 100%. Probable. He couldn't stay out of trouble for a week Yes I mean, we're just rehashing the same stuff now I'm sorry, I keep Can't help it Well, so, you know,
0: McElroy's bound for a trial on December 12th But when he learned of this new charge Prosecutor Nori filed a motion to revoke Ken's bond And that hearing was set for October 2nd Lots of hearings on Ken's calendar There was no issue to be debated at the hearing, though The law is plain as day. If you are out on bond and incur
1: yet another felony charge, that bond is revoked and you go to jail. They had some common sense in legal books. After all, I was looking for it this whole time. There it was. Yeah, that's it. He was out on bond and
0: he committed another felony type. uh, uh, What am I trying to say? Offense. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know why I said thank you. Thank you, Joey. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) And then, so
1: that's it. That's not even a, it's not even something that needs to be discussed. Oh, no, he goes to jail now because that happened. If Sagan's in timeout for something and we're trying to debate whether we should take the Chuck E. Cheese Day award from him (laughs) and he flipped over a shelf... I think Chuck E. Cheese is going Chuck away. Chuck e. Cheese is going away, buddy. Sorry. Sorry. You sh- and I want to go it's as bad as he does. Yeah. <laughs> We've been together to Chuck E. Cheese. You and me. It's fantastic. Dang it, No ski ball for dad. I wonder if dad could sneak to Chuck E. Cheese without anyone. <laughs> oh, <let's> keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> well, listen to this. For reasons nobody could explain, the
0: judge refused to rule and set another hearing for 12 days later. Finally, at that hearing... Ken's bond was revoked, and a new bond of forty thousand dollars was set.
1: Hmm.
0: But, but, great as usual per Missouri law, all it took was a couple McElroys to sign a piece of paper, and Ken was home that day. Remember, he didn't have to pay them a dollar. All they had to do was sign a promissory thingamajiggy, saying that we promise he won't get any more mulligans, and if he does, then the bonds revoked. We pay this forty
1: grand. The dumb and dumber. Scenario with the the IOUs That's the same amount of logic And that movie's called Dumb and Dumber (laughs) Go
0: This time an addition Was made to the bond Ken would no longer be able to carry firearms And he was not allowed Outside of Nottoway County And the surrounding counties Now the people of Skidmore weren't sure who Who was this supposed to benefit If anything they'd rather Ken be ordered to stay out of Nottoway County yeah. and the surrounding. <laughs> you cannot leave pretty much Skidmore. And they're like, what the, what? Yeah. He,
1: what? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like Ken would abide by the rules anyway. This poison, a snake will remain in the pool with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Check this out. He even, Ken, even
0: started circling the sheriff's office in Maryville. Peering into their windows as he passed by again and again and again. The sheriff's office. <laughs> he continued to travel wherever the hell he wanted and carry firearms as well. In fact, he started to carry a Thompson machine gun in the gun rack of his pickup. Would that be a
1: parole violation? <laughs> oh, well, he's not that part. The parole's later, but yeah. <sighs> Oh, Do we need to breathe for a minute? Or we got we're got we still have a couple more pages. It's guys. to the point where I'm cold to it all. Nothing surprises me anymore. Yeah. You're like Ken had a nuclear warhead <laughs> that he bought from the North Koreans, and the judge says that's fine as long as he doesn't fire it on Sundays.
2: <laughs> yeah, a nuclear warhead.
1: I'd be like. Oh, really. What happened next, Joe? <laughs> you, are you are desensitized. You are. I feel sorry for you guys. Thanks, m- media. Like, <laughs> no, never mind. Keep going. The second deposition in the
0: Bowen Camp case occurred on November 20th, 1980. Four days later, McFadden worked his magic again and was granted a continuance. The trial was now postponed until February 5th, 1981, over two months away. Meanwhile, Ken and his star attorney had another trial to attend to, the trial for threatening the couple in St. Joe with a shotgun. December 12th came, and again, the couple swore that Ken had not threatened or intimidated them in any way. Well, guess what? The trial was over, in a day, Ken McIlroy was acquitted. Again, no charges, marked away free, man. Yep. The people of Nottaway County knew that now, Ken would be more brazen than ever, if that was even possible, and the people around Skidmore began to brace for the worst. Here we go. Nearly everyone was now armed, and people who had never locked their doors and windows before were now sealing their homes up like Fort Knox, even during the day. As the Bowen camp trial approached, Ken turned up the heat on the witnesses and his old nemesis, Richard Stratton. You're going to like this part, though. Okay. But in January of 1981, and this is portrayed in the movie, uh, Sam, very well, Ken finally pushed the state trooper too far Ken had been parked outside the Stratton's home, like usual, but as Margaret walked past to get in her car, Ken pulled a shotgun on her. Then he trailed behind her as she drove to a shopping mall and was waiting for her when she came out. Her next stop was at the church, but she was so scared that she drove to the nearest troop post and radioed her husband, who called in a police surveillance plane to watch her as she drove the rest of the way to church. Cool. Then, just two days later, Ken pulled his tan Buick in front of Vicky at the hospital, that's one of the daughters, mm-hmm. blocking the entrance and making her late for work. Richard Stratton decided to put a stop to the harassment, whether it be inside or outside the confines of the law. Oh, nice. So, Stratton knew most of Ken's running buddies, and he settled on one on a particular night that he thought he could really spook the guy. He soon tracked the man down in the lobby of a seedy motel. Stratton drug him out, stuffed him in his cruiser and drove him far out of town to a deserted gravel road. Uh Uh-oh. As they drove, Stratton told the man of all the harassment from Ken. When they finally came to a stop on the dirt road he put the car in park and turned to face the man and said this shit's going to stop. I can set McIlroy up and blow him away and be all legal about it. It's very close to happening. Darkness can cover me just as well as it covers him. With that, Stratton dropped the man back off and headed home. Neither he nor his family ever heard from Ken again. Hmm. So I guess the man delivered the message. Wow. To Ken. So I guess when the rubber really hit the road, like, look man, this trooper said, he's going to kill your ass. Like, he was serious, dude. He looked me straight in the eyes. I got chills. He said he will kill you if it happens again. I think Ken knew.
1: He knew when he had pushed someone too far. Yeah. This is very interesting because he basically got to the point where he re- realized that they weren't going to play by the book anymore. Right. Like he relied on the book. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's like, oh, no. Somebody else is going to play my game. Right. And as soon as
0: that happened, you know, as soon as Tim Warren was like, come on, bitch, I'll kill like, yeah. you. Yeah. Know, as soon as someone bucked back up. Uh, yeah, that's when he backed off. That's just like that gentleman told me when I went into Skidmore. Remember? Mm-hmm. He said there are several people that stopped it dead in its tracks when it first started. Yeah. You know, so it's sad because the people, like the Bone Camps and even Stratton's family, the people that it went the furthest with were, were probably the more meek people that were just like, well, maybe, sure. he'll, maybe he'll stop. And that really sucks because they have to suffer the most. Yeah. As pissed off as everyone was about the February 5th court date, they had no idea that McFadden had even more tricks up his sleeve to postpone the trial for way longer than that. On January 22nd, two weeks before the trial date, McFadden suddenly announced that a powerful state senator named Richard Webster would be also, alongside him, representing McElroy in the Bowen camp case. This This is why this is important. As senator, Webster had to attend the Missouri General Assembly, which... Unfortunately, would be in session before, during, and after the February fifth trial date that was okay. coming up. So Missouri law states that if one of the defendant's attorneys is required to be in the General Assembly and cannot be present during trial. Sam that- and I are looking at each other
1: like whatever this is, it's some bullshit. It is. <laughs> that's what's, that's look. Sorry, I interrupted you because no. I, I had to tell you what was happening. No, in that I, I see you. <laughs>
3: But I just don't understand how that can be like, just a thing. Hey, I'm going to add somebody to this just to prolong it even more. It was. the law.
0: He added it knowing (laughs) that the guy had general assembly coming up and knowing that the Missouri law stated that if one of the attorneys could not be there to represent Ken, it would be postponed until after. So it was a (laughs) way to even further, even further. This is, it's it's insane. So February 5th, okay, let's remember that. February 5th was when it was supposed to be. The ruse worked, and the new trial date was set
3: five months away on June 25th, 1981. Five months. So how long are we from the original? I can't even
1: remember when I Bo remember got a shot. two month. I remember you saying a two month, and then I remember you saying, like, then, then he had to recover all that time and go with it. It's over, well
3: over a year. Okay, yeah, well, no, it look, is for right sure. Here,
0: in a county where cases usually went to trial in one or two months, McFadden had now delayed the Bowen Camp trial for about a
1: year. He had a the question year. to your, he had the answer to your question in the notes. In the notes. He knew you were going to say that. I knew it. it. Right above it, it's like, Sam's going to ask about this. <laughs> and he wrote it in. That's how good he is. That's what four years of expertise gets you. That's right. Only here at Don of Mantis. That's right. I know what you're going to ask even before you ask it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's in my notes, conveniently.
0: (laughs) The people of Skidmore were flooded with a range of emotions. Rage, frustration, fear. This latest development was more proof than ever that Kim McElroy was absolutely untouchable. They no longer had an ounce of faith in the
1: justice system. They couldn't be surprised that a slimy senator would mess up things.
0: Who's that senator? Because when he's running for re-election... You know, well, this is 40 years later. Let's go back in time. I'd bring that up. Oh, remember that time where you purposefully uh, helped delay a trial for this guy who yeah, who but, tried to kill somebody? Well,
1: I mean, let's brainstorm. What would some slimy senator, what would be his retort that would be stupid, but stupid people would believe it? Like, if you let this happen to Ken McElroy, it could happen to you the next time you shoot multiple people and carry around guns. And I don't know about you. But I want to live in a free country.
0: The thing I like to say lately is, I'd like to tell you what that guy maybe was thinking, but I can't think like him because I can't stick my head that far up my own ass.
1: (laughs) Very good. You just got to... That's just... That's all there is to it. Solid answer. Yeah.
0: But anyway, yeah, that's all there is to episode seven as well. Or six, I'm sorry. Episode six. And uh, we're going to have to just see how this plays out. Uh, We've only got three more left. Seven, eight, nine. Three more left, guys, but stick with us because... Uh, It's going to get pretty wild.
1: This lawyer's such an asshole, a bidet couldn't clean him up. (laughs) Right? Even the best. Even if you had a six. My my max is out at five, but even the six couldn't clean this guy. Even the six on a Lux (laughs) couldn't clean this guy up. It's disgusting.
0: Okay, guys, that's the end of part six of uh, No Witness, No Crime, The
1: Life and Death of Ken McElroy. Six of how many again? Nine? Nine. Mm. Yeah, baby. But uh, I think we have to be almost getting to the good part. Yeah. I think that's coming up in the next uh
2: Is
0: episode. it really? I think
1: so,
2: yeah.
0: Spoiler.
1: Yeah, spoiler. Teaser. That's a teaser. Yeah, you're
0: going to want to hear this next episode, baby. What if someone's like, ah,
1: I can't stick with it. I've only... <laughs> We're almost there. Just wait. Yeah. We're almost there. Come on. Yeah.
0: You can do it. Stay with us. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening.
2: Let me tell you about some fellas I know Named Ivan, Sam, and Joe They got themselves a little podcast, you know and they talk about everything under the sun That they find interesting, spooky, or fun And they sure ain't trying to impress no one Remedy to too much time on your answers Take a little listen to the dawn of mantis We talk about killers, monsters, and cults French mates from hell disappeared folks Occasionally throw in a few dad jokes but They try to make every story extra nice by adding their own ginger spice. Not one time or two, but thrice. The remedy of to too much time on you ends is take a little listen to the dawn of man's Now I'm sure these fellas will be around for quite a spell. Cause there sure ain't no shortage of stories to tell. This old world's as weird as hell. But hell, even if nobody listens, you know they'd maintain a fine disposition. Cause shooting the breeze is kind of their mission. The Remedy to too much time on your is Take a little listen to the dawn of my tea. you ever needed too much time on your answers Take a little listen to the dawn of Mante